0: Turn to Romans, chapter twelve, verse nine. Romans twelve nine. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, your presence would be uh, known and understood by us today, as we turn again to your Word to be taught and directed by it. Lord, we thank you and we praise you uh, for the work of your Son Jesus and his and uh, his work on the cross and the blood that he spilled that justifies us. Thank you for your spirit, uh, whose work in our lives sanctifies us, and we thank you for the love that you have, which will eventually glorify us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for uh, who you are and what you have done, and we pray this in your precious and holy son Jesus' name. Amen. Again, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we just pray again that your Spirit would guide and direct us through the pages of your Word. So like I've done the last few weeks, uh, let's remind ourselves that Romans chapter twelve verses nine to twenty one do not stand alone, but in fact are preceded by Romans one, 1 all the way to twelve. This is, not a, this is not a standalone passage. This, this comes only after the first 11 and a half chapters. Paul takes 11 chapters and he talks about the theology of the gospel. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ, who justifies, by his, who justifies us by his blood and his blood alone. Now we are being sanctified into the day of our deaths, which will be our glorification. Therefore, brothers, I urge you. That's chapter 12. Paul is going to, to, again, he's shifting from the mind to the action. He's shifting from, from knowing what the gospel is in terms of words and thought to now what does the gospel mean in terms of actions in my life. That's what we'll continue to cover in 12 to 16, chapters 12 to 16. So, we need to remind ourselves to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've been right. We've traveled through Romans for about a year and a half, off and on, and and throughout the book of Romans, we've we've caught glimpses of Paul's obsession with eliminating legalism from the church more than any other writer of the New Testament. Paul wants to eradicate this idea of legalism because, in Paul's opinion, it is wrong. The first question might be, well, what is legalism? Legalism, uh, to put it as simply as I possibly can, legalism is thinking that I can in some way earn my way back into a relationship with God with my actions. We live in a society that is Based and founded upon a law system that rules. Meaning, we, there's no question. If I break the speed limit, I, I I should be punished for it. There's no there's no honor and shame. There's nothing. It's that is what it is. It's it's the law. We follow the law if I want to be a good citizen. I do so by following the law. And and what we do then is we color what the Old Testament law was not meant to be by what we think it should be because of our law system. So we say the Old Testament law is like our law. And so therefore when when the people of Israel read it, they thought of it in the same way that we think of our law. I feel like I I, I explained that in, in far too many words and I apologize for that confusing statement. But but what I mean what I what I'm trying to get at here is that we so often it's so easy for us to think of the law as, as our method, our means by which we earn our relationship with God. And that's just simply not true. Paul explains very clearly that the purpose of the law was never meant to save us, but rather it was meant to illuminate for us who God is and what God expects of us uh, to probably best show us how much we need him to save us. But as Paul talks about this, he, he, he goes on and on about this and, and he writes an entire letter to the churches in Galatia where the only thing that he talks about is, is this let's get rid of legalism. Right? He's mad, he's angry, he's writing this he's writing this this fiery letter about, about legalism is wrong and get it out of the church. And we can we can look at Paul, we can think about Paul, we can think about Romans, we can think about Galatians, and we can go, let's just let's just throw all lists away. Because the list is going to lead me to legalism, and then we get to Romans chapter twelve, and we go, Paul, what are you doing, giving us a list? Really, in a lot of ways, this is like the, the second list that Paul gives us, even in just this one chapter of of action. There's nothing wrong with lists inherently. The reason the 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 problem that lists bring is that we we place them in our lives as the means of salvation. That's not what they're meant for. Actually, I think I think probably best put the reason why we have lists and the reason why we're called to action in the New Testament and in the Old Testament really is because that is how the Spirit of God speaks into our hearts. Sometimes we're so deaf to the Spirit that we need to be we need to have it written out in front of us so that we can actually see it as well as being uh, taught it by the Spirit. And so that's what this really collection of of exhortations is. This list. It's not a method of our salvation in in any way. But rather it's the Spirit speaking to us. So we're gonna take our time and we're gonna work our way through it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to get through it to get through it painlessly, and then and then at the end, I'm gonna to try to wrap up what I think Paul is ultimately trying to tell us. And I want to take the time to go through it. First thing Paul says is let love be genuine. Let let love let love be genuine. Okay, what is what does Paul mean by and our culture, I say this a lot. That's okay. Our culture tells us a false Definition of love. If you've ever heard the phrase "he's he's fallen out of love with her" or "she's fallen out of love with him," that is a that is a complete lie. What that what what actually they're saying is he no longer has hormone responses to that lady, or she no longer has hormone responses to that man. There's no more butterflies in the summer, right? You, you when remember the first crush you had in middle school or elementary school? Whenever you started no, noticing people of the opposite sex, right? Remember those feelings? Do you know what that is? Chemically, those are hormones flooding your abdomen. It's a chemical response. Isn't that such a great definition of love? Don't you, don't you, don't you enjoy that your 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 significant other? Cares about you because there's there's chemicals flooding their body. Isn't that nice? Please, somebody, shake your head. No, that's not nice. In fact, it's such a it's such a garbage definition. It's it so diminishes not not to so diminishes our relationships with each other. It so diminishes how we understand who God is. Right, God's God's love is 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 covenantal. It's a decision that God made to to choose us and to pull us and to bring us out of the muck and mire of who we are as broken sinful people God does not God does not have to love you he chooses to love you and I hope that's how we are with our, our spouses with our significant other. we don't we shouldn't have to love the person who we spend the most time with because it's just this chemical reaction in our bodies and oh I, I just can't help it no that's boring. We should, we, should be, we should be committed so that even in the times when really uh, the chemical reactions in our body more mimic hatred that we still choose to love our, our spouses. I think that love is more powerful. So, so Paul says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be be real. What well, Paul is not—he's not saying fake your love, right? He's saying let it be real. Well, how do I how do I let my love be real? Well, you let your love be real by loving as as Christ loved sacrificially. I don't I don't I don't particularly have any chemical reactions to many of you in this room. So does that mean I shouldn't, I shouldn't serve you? I shouldn't try to lift you up, raise you up as brothers and sisters in Christ? No, actually, the complete opposite. It's, it's the most important to do it whenever it's not a chemical reaction. Love you, Let your love be genuine. Let your love be real. Choose to sacrificially serve. I think I think that would be a good paraphrase. Choose to sacrificially serve. And I think this is what what will color the rest of this chapter. I think everything that that follows that particular sentence is an explanation of what let your love be genuine looks like. Paul splits it into two groups. He splits it into how do we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we interact with people in the church? And then in verse 14 and following, how do we interact with... How do we let our love be genuine to those who are outside of the church? Okay. Let your love be genuine. And then he says, abhor what is evil. Hate evil. Again, in our culture, we're told, oh, uh, there is no such thing as bad. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. And if you really love somebody, you wouldn't count the sin against their 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 failures against them. It sounds really good, right? It sounds it sounds really nice. But see, the problem is, is that's not what we actually do. We say sin no longer matters. Wrong actions don't don't matter. Mark my words, we'll get to a point where we start to question taking somebody's life if it's okay or not. But that's a boundary that we haven't yet crossed, but we're we're getting there. See, see, what we do is we as Christians, we should recognize that it doesn't matter who you are. All of you are sinners. I know this, you know this, the person to your right knows it, the person to your left knows it, the person in front and behind knows it. You're sinners. This should not separate this should not drive a wedge between us where we will no longer sacrificially love each other. but that doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter that doesn't mean that evil is okay in fact one of the most loving things that we can do is confront evil in another person's life now notice re- let me remind you that at this point we're talking about how does love begent how, how do we love genuinely within the church not outside of the church i don't i don't go and judge The world, because it's not my job, nor is it my right. But as fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not only my not only my responsibility; it's my my right. And to truly love you sometimes means to confront evil in your life, and to hate that evil, not to hate the person, to hate the evil. Go fast to what is good. Hate evil. Hold fast to what is good. Anybody ever been in a situation where you thought about the decision that you're making? This one kind of struck me this week and it made me realize something that very often do I take the time to think about right and wrong before I act. And hopefully that means that I've gotten to a point where I I know inherently what is right and wrong. But I but as I observe my life, or I look back on the things that I did in the past week, I go, Man, I don't I don't think I really do know what is right and wrong. Or I don't think I think about what is right and wrong enough. And I think maybe we should we should be more active in that process. To look at the actions of my life and to think about the things that might come up in the day and go. Okay, I might have the I might have the opportunity to lie and to steal and to cheat my way through the day, and, and today I'm not going to do that. Today I'm going to hate pornography. I'm going to choose to avoid it. Now, it's easy to say, right? But don't we have to start by saying, "Let our love be genuine." Hate evil, hold fast to what is good. Now it gets a little bit more interpersonal. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That is one of my favorite things that Paul has ever said. Compete with each other in showing honor and respect. Sometimes we say that competition is bad and, and, and it depends on who you're talking to. Sometimes competition is bad. Sometimes people are too competitive, right? Sometimes nobody cares, and it's okay. You can have a friendly game of, you know, tag football, and nobody breaks an arm. If somebody breaks an arm, maybe your competition has gotten a little bit out of hand. Tag, touch football. But here Paul says, here Paul says he says listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to I want you to compete in showing each other honor. And what he means by showing each other honor is, is is in essence, show each other respect. See that the other person has value and raise that person up with your actions. Outdo each other in showing each other honor. So as I as I live my life in in the midst of this family I hope some of some of you also think that this is a family. As I live my life in the midst of this family and I see people around me lifting other people up, I should first of all, I should commend that. Good job. Well done. That's nice. That's great. And then what my next response should be is how can I do better? How can I lift the person up that's just lifted the other person up and then and then and then Lift the person up that's just been lifted up and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to outdo everybody else in showing everybody else honor and respect, even if they don't really deserve it. Now doing another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. I think this might go back a little bit to to what I said, do I think about? Do I think about the actions of my life? Probably not enough. Mostly because I'm lazy. I mean, I'm physically lazy, but I'm also mentally lazy. It holds me back from from being passionate. But instead, what should I do? How how should I be? I be? I should be zealous. I should be fervent in spirit as I serve the Lord. Pick up the pace. I find the times when I'm the most broken to be the times that I'm the most slothful in how I come to Scripture and how I pray and how I interact with you and how I interact with others. The times that I'm serious, zealous, fervent, the times in my life clicks, right? I'm not the only person in here. Some of you are shaking your head sort of, like half-heartedly. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Should we just cross that one out? Tribulation. I loved what Paul said about outdoing one another, have competition to, be, to, to show respect, but I, I hate that he told me that tribulation is going to come. Notice that he doesn't say, if it comes, he just says, in it. In just a second, we're going to get a reminder of this, and so, so hold that thought. Be constant in prayer. Every person in here struggles with prayer. Right? Anybody been praying for 24 hours straight? Some of you went to sleep, right? I mean, obviously that's not what Paul is actually saying. So he's not saying don't ever sleep and only ever be on your knees in prayer. But he's saying constantly be be in prayer. Constantly be in, a, in communication with your God. We can all be a little bit better with, with prayer. If it seems like I'm skipping over things, don't worry, I'll come back to it. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then Paul shifts. Like I said, Paul shifts from inside to outside, inside the church to outside the church. He says, "Bless those who persecute you." There's that. There's that persecute. There's that, that word we don't like. Persecute, tribulation, similar things. Tribulation is just the the outcome. Persecution is the action that causes the outcome. In essence, be patient in tribulations and bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. And then, in case, in case anybody in the room said, "Well, he doesn't obviously mean bless," Paul says, "Bless and don't curse them." So as soon as as soon as we hear that, Paul assumes that at least some of us are going to go, "Well, I'm clearly not supposed to bless those who persecute me." Paul says, "No, bless them. Don't curse them." Okay, what does blessing mean? Blessing just means giving them nice things, right? Isn't that what God does? Isn't that, isn't that what God's blessing is in my life? He gives me nice things, gives me some money, a nice car, a nice job. Isn't that what the blessing of God is? No. Blessing of God, probably most rightly understood, is God's, is God's sacrificial presence in my life. So when, when God says to the people of Israel, when you, when you seek me, I will bless you. What he's saying is, I will sacrificially be a part of your lives. Okay, now Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Be sacrificially a part of the lives of those who persecute you. Well, what's persecution? Isn't persecution whenever somebody says, oh, you got to bake a cake for somebody you don't want to bake a cake for? Sorry. It's not. We live in a culture where we are not persecuted. In America. You go to the Middle East, that's a different story. Persecution in Scripture always, always, always means hatred and harm. Sometimes we have people who don't like us and we go, oh, they're persecuting me. No, they're not. Hatred and harm. Sacrificially, be present in the lives of those who hate and harm you. That's a pretty, pretty bold thing for Paul to tell us to do, right? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe that's not what he meant. Maybe he meant just be nice to them. Nope. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice. With those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul is now going to explain what this means. How do I sacrificially be present in the lives of those who hate and hurt me? I rejoice when they rejoice and I weep when they weep. I am a part of their life. right? So we've all been through a, a, a viewing line or a, a funeral line where we go and we we, we greet, or whatever the word would be, greet the, the family of the of the deceased, right? And I think everybody, everybody has this desire to, I, I'm going to go through the line, I'm going to say something, and it's going to make everything better. And, and, then, and then we're on the receiving side of that. And we go, it doesn't make anything better. The hurt is still there, the pain is still there. In, in, in psychology, we, we talk about the, 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 the gift of presence. Sometimes we just need to be there. Sometimes we just need to share the feelings. Whenever somebody's having a, a great time, whenever somebody has a baby, we rejoice. Whenever somebody has a death, we weep. We don't fix. We don't, we don't cause. We don't, we don't try to make it better. We just simply, we're there. Be present in the lives of those who hate and hurt you. Be sacrificially present in the lives of, the, of those people who hate and hurt you. Which means that sometimes you're going to need to rejoice with people whom you also hate in return. And weep with those who have lost loved ones whom you could care less about. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't think too highly of yourself, but but associate with the lowly. Never Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible, so far as it depends upon you. Live peaceably, peaceably with all. Sometimes we take this and we apply it to the church. I should live at peace with those people who I agree with. Actually, Paul says you should live at peace with those people who hate and want to hurt you. As far as is possible for you. Now, there's a reality that that's not always going to be possible. Some people actually just want you to die, and that's all they're ever going to want. No matter what you do. No matter how much you care about them, no matter how much you rejoice when they rejoice, no matter how much you weep when they weep, no matter how much you sacrificially love, they're simply going to hate you, and and that's okay. But the reality is, is that many of us don't do anything to fix those kind of relationships. We just simply wipe our hands. They hate me. Okay, I'll hate them. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Justice is God's. I think one of, the, one of the ramifications of the fall of man is that we think vengeance is ours. We think setting things right is our responsibility. It's not. It's God's. It's the Lord's. So when somebody is harming you, when somebody hates you, when somebody's hurting you, this is our opportunity to set that aside for God. But instead, verse 20, and this is where it gets really hard. Paul says, Paul says in verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Yowch. Be, be sacrificially present in the lives of those who hate and hurt you. Now, again, we live in a in a society where there are there are not people who are who are really that hungry right there are, there are people in the world who suffer more than even the, mo- the most suffering american there's there's food banks there's places where people can get food there's places where people can get water there's places there's we have an endless supply of support in this country and so how do we uh, if our enemy is hungry and if our enemy is thirsty how do we feed and give them drink I think that's a tough question, one that I can't give you a definitive answer on. But I think we all know what hunger looks like—not just physical hunger. We all know what thirst looks like—not just not just physical thirst. We all see people who are in desperate need of sustenance in some way, shape, and form. And and so often, we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, fail. Miserably at this. The church has so many enemies, doesn't it? Isn't that sad that we can say that? I bet you, I bet you it it just just thirty seconds of you thinking about it. I bet you can think of at least ten Peoples that are the enemy of the church. Not not who are not who hate the church, but who the church in turn hates. I think that's a sad indictment of the church. That changes through us. That changes through us looking at the world and recognizing that it's not a question on if we will be persecuted or if there will be tribulation. It's a question of, of when. And when it happens, we don't, we don't shy away from it. We don't, we, don't, we don't step back away from it and think somehow, oh, we don't deserve this. No, in, in, instead, we bless... And not curse. Why does that matter? Paul tells us. For by doing so. You heap burning coals. On the head. And I go in. Not not to go into the. The the passages. Comes from, from the Old Testament. In essence what this means is that we. We set the judgment of God. Upon the head. Of the person who is persecuting. For the purpose. Of eliminating that threat by change anybody ever take a coal out of the out of the grill anybody charcoal grilling take a coal out of the grill and set it on a stack of papers you know what happens anybody it starts a fire it consumes what's underneath it defeat evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Feed your enemies, give drink to your enemies. And so doing overcome evil with good. Now like I said we're gonna kind of work our way through that and then we'll kind of circle back around. What is what is Paul actually talking about? Like I said, Paul's talking about what, what love looks like. What is love what does love look like? love looks like sacrifice love love doesn't look itself and see its needs above anybody else's love chooses to seek the needs of others first both in and out within the church it should be easier unfortunately that's not always that's not always the truth is it Paul spends less time in, in talking about how to, how to love each other than he does in how to love everybody else because Paul assumes that it should be easier for us to, to love and be in unity with the brothers and sisters who in, in no small part live in unity of thought. We are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus. He died and justified us by His, his blood and yet in the church today we fail at this. And it's a detriment to us. Who who wants to be part of a group of people who say they're loving and compassionate, yet at every single moment and every single opportunity where they can take advantage of the situation for their own gain, they take it? We first must learn to love each other, and then we must learn to love those who hate and hurt us. And I think one thing one thing I think is is evident by the rest of Scripture, by the whole counsel of God, is that whenever we actually live in unity with one another, that's when persecution really starts to happen. Loved ones of Jesus Christ, let us learn to love abundantly. Let us learn to love genuinely. Let's choose, instead of division, unity with each other. Then, and probably at the same time, let us bless those who persecute us. Ryan, that's too hard. Will anybody agree with me on that? It sounds hard. I like a lot of you in here. Those of you who I know more than just in a you know passing way, which should be most of you, but I like you guys. It's still hard to love you. It's still hard to be sacrificial. It's still hard to think of you more than I think of myself. I'm extremely selfish. And 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 I'll be the first to admit I'm not persecuted. Yeah, there are some people who don't like me, who don't like what I stand for. Nobody's ever clocked me. It's extremely hard to sacrificially love. It's actually so hard, in fact, that Jesus had to go to the cross to die to show us what it actually looks like. Let us love abundantly. Let us love genuinely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you have you sent your son to be the sacrifice needed for our salvation. When there's times whenever we, we question why we're still here, Why not just take us at our confession? Let us be with you in eternity, praising your name. Lord, we we ask that you would give us your spirit in a new measure. We could see and understand areas of our lives where We fall short of genuine love. Not so that we might be torn down, but so that we might know where we can be built up. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be bold enough to compete to showing honor. To pray constantly. Help us to be bold enough to bless those who hate and hurt us. To feed those who are hungry and those who are thirsty. Even if they're the ones who are attacking us. Lord, not so that we might be thought of as better. So that the work of your son Jesus on the cross might be better. Better seen. Better understood. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your son Jesus. I pray this in his precious name.